Hi, this is Katie Maxwell. And I'm Lauren Paris. We're your hosts of Voices of the Earth, a Faith in Place podcast. We'll be exploring the intersection of spirituality, the environment, and justice. Faith in Place is a multi-faith environmental justice nonprofit based in Illinois, and we're on a mission to empower communities of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. And we are also the proud affiliate of Interfaith Power and Light. Want to support our work? Please visit www.faithinplace.org slash donate. You can also find us on Instagram at Voices of Earth Podcast and Twitter at Voices underscore of underscore Earth. Faith in Place is also on social at Faith in Place. Welcome everyone back to Voices of the Earth podcast. I'm Katie Maxwell and I'm joined today by my co-host Lauren Paris. Hey Lauren, how are you? Hey Katie, I'm good. How are you? Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here as well. Um, It's three in the afternoon or something like that. I can't even tell time, but it is, um, I'm still drinking coffee. Um, powering through the day. How about you? Oh yeah, you know it. (laughs) (laughs) I have my um, at-home coffee and I have a new creamer. It's some like almond milk creme creme brulee creamer that I found at Target. Um, So yeah, it's pretty good. I'm I'm enjoying spicing up the coffee throughout the day. That sounds super tasty, and I might have to add that to my next Target order. Um, But anyway, we have a really exciting episode for you all today, and let's just jump right into it because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, We are joined this afternoon by Greg Tischer, our Faith in Places Director of Grants, his wife, Lizzie, who I believe also works in the government. Um, Please correct me if I'm wrong, Lizzie, and Princess Harris, who will be guiding our discussion today. And Princess is our Sustainable Food and Land Use Coordinator. Thanks, Katie. Um, Yes, as you mentioned, Princess is our Sustainable Food and Land Use Coordinator, um, who will be leading our discussion today. Uh, As a part of her Sustainable Food and Land Use work, Princess also leads our Migration and Me program. So a little bit more about that. By connecting migration stories and spending time learning about the natural world, the Migration and Me program inspires people to care for the earth and build community, making us more resilient to the impacts of climate change. The Migration and Me program was also a recipient of a 2017 Force of Nature Award given by Chicago Wilderness. That's right. And within the Migration in Me program, there's a really special program called Story Circles, which are a powerful space for a small group of people like the one we've gathered today to share their migration stories. And, you know, during the pandemic, our Story Circles have changed. We've adapted the program to the virtual realities that we now find ourselves in. Um, And I'm curious, Princess, if you would like to say more about the program. 
Yes, I would. Hi, Katie and Lauren. And um, hi to our special guests, Greg and Lizzie. And yes, I would just like to um, mention that, um, story, that everyone has a story of migration, whether it's one's own migration story or one that has been inherited from loved ones. Stories of migration are all around us and involve all living creatures. And migration occurs for different reasons from different places and in different ways. I love that. No, that's beautiful. Um, Princess, we are so excited to have you basically as a guest host on today's episode. So do you want to kick off the story circle portion of the episode and uh, bring in Greg and Lizzie? Yes. So, um, as Katie has said, you know, um, the my, part of the Migration and Me program is the story circles. And this month, we had decided to do a story circle of migration based on love. And so, I would like to introduce Greg, who was my coworker, and Lizzie. Now, this came about because when we were in the office before COVID, Greg was telling me all these wonderful stories, and I think he forgot. And so when I found out that I needed a story, that no, that I wanted to do a story of a migration love story, I was like, I know Greg has one. So then I asked Greg, and he was like, eh. Well, then Lizzie was in the room. She was like, yes. And so here we are today. So today I'm introducing you to Greg and Lizzie. Say hi. Hello, this is Lizzie. And hi, this is Greg. Hi, Greg and Lizzie. I want to thank you all for sharing your story. And I'm just going to start off with some questions and for Greg. And I would want you to tell us, your, tell us about yourself and your role at Faith in Place. Sure. So I'm Director of Grants at Faith in Place. I've been with the organization about two and a half years. And I work with other colleagues in development, as well as colleagues across the organization to raise the money that Faith in Place needs to carry out its mission. Okay. So thank you. So Greg, I would like for you to tell us where you were born um, real quick. Sure. So I grew up in Ohio, uh, in Northern Ohio. Okay. So you went to school. I mean, that's where you graduated from high school there? Yeah. I graduated from high school in Worcester, Ohio. Okay. And so from our talks over our lunch, we talked about how you um, went to school in Vermont. And I always talked about how I went to go to Vermont and you were telling me about this. So I want you to tell us, how'd you end up in Vermont to go <laughs> to college? Sure. So I went to graduate school at the University of Vermont in Burlington, um, in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, after I did my undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh and um, worked for a bit and did some time and some other things elsewhere after that and um, picked University of Vermont. I was interested in doing historic preservation and there's had a graduate program there that seemed very enticing and interesting and um, well and they gave me a nice scholarship too so that made it easier to go there too. Oh okay great. Um, I'm understanding that you from our talks you had ended up in Alaska through the AmeriCorps Vista and so how did that come about? After college, I worked for a bit and eventually, through a number of jobs, found myself as a, uh, joining the AmeriCorps VISTA program, which is a uh, Volunteers in Service to America is what VISTA stands for. I was in Glen Allen, Alaska, which is about, it's on the road system, about 100 and, 190 miles east, east of Anchorage, 250 miles south of Fairbanks, and roughly 125 miles north of Valdez, 
and you know maybe 130, 150 miles west of the Canadian border with the Yukon Territory. I was working there with an Alaska native that is a, a Native American nonprofit. We were doing heritage tourism development um, with, with the elders and the youth to develop a, a Atna historical village which will allow the elders to share traditional knowledge with the youth, as well as perhaps be an economic engine driving a tourism business. Wow, that sounds awesome. How was that experience? I was there two years, and um, people often ask how cold did it get, and there was one time the radio said uh, it was 50 degrees below zero, and since the, um, the schools would be canceled, they didn't cancel the schools until it was 50 degrees below zero, I was at that time living down in the in the river valley, so it was probably lower, colder than that. So yeah, it was a great experience, and I met a lot of great people, and feel those friendships continuing. Okay, so now let's get to the good part where Lizzie comes in at. So, um, Greg, I understand. So I, I might have this a little muddled. So if you can clarify, so. Did you and Lizzie both go to the University of Vermont? Sure. So at the end of my, I was there two years in, in Glen Allen, Alaska, with the Esmerica Vista. Near the end of uh, my time there, I applied to graduate school um, and was accepted at a number of, number of graduate schools in the Northeast um, in New England and wasn't, wasn't going to be able to uh, go and visit any of them. I was five time zones away from them. So I reached out to reached out to the professor at, uh, of the, the director of the program at the University of Vermont, asked if I could speak to speak to another student there who had a similar scholarship who decided to go to the, the, the program and sort of get us you know a student's eye view of what the program was like and help me make my decision whether I should go to the university or not or another college. And this professor, whose name, his name, his name is Tom, put me in touch with Lizzie. So, Lizzie, this is where you come, come in at. So, I understand that you have roots in um, Chicago. Yeah, um, I actually, I grew up in Wilmette, which is just north of Chicago. Um, and my family has actually been in the area since, well, uh, you know, I think generally like in Chicago and then Wilmette as well, since probably the 1870s at least. So, I have very deep roots in the okay. area. I'm not trying to confuse this. Maybe I'm confusing myself. So did you go to the University of Vermont also? I did, yeah. And I actually, I went to Michigan State University as an undergrad. And then from there, um, went to the University of Vermont. And, you know, like Greg, I was interested in the Historic Preservation Program. Um, but I was also, I'd never been to Vermont and didn't, hadn't spent much time in the Northeast and New England. So I just really wanted to go someplace different from the Midwest. And it just looked beautiful, a lot of history, the mountains, the Lake Champlain. And so I just kind of, I picked it on a whim. I'd never been there before. And I just moved there and, and loved it. This is where this gets interesting. So both of you all went to the University of Vermont, had never met an undergrad. Am I correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so you all um, were thinking about, so you were already at the grad school, correct, um, Lizzie? Yeah, I, I had been there for a year already. I started in 2003, um, and then, well, Greg was still in Alaska. And so it was, I think, April 2004 when he contacted me. As he mentioned, a professor had given him my name um, because I'd had like a similar scholarship than what he was offered, and he wanted to chat about that. Um, but I secretly suspect, because we were a very small program, 
And this professor was always very, you know, he, he was always around when we were chit-chatting about our personal lives. So I suspect there was maybe a little uh, backdoor matchmaking on his part as well. But I can't verify that. That's just my own hunch. <laughs> So that's why I'm trying to say this is so interesting, guys, because they went to grad school, I mean, went to undergrad, never met, and then through a professor who was trying to do some undercover matchmaking, they met <laughs> during grad school. Okay, so you all have started emailing back and forth. Right. And so where did the did you all start saying, hmm, I kind of like this guy, or, you know, Greg, I, I like this um, lady, you know, so when did that start? How did that start? Well, I can speak for myself in saying that, I mean, when I first got the email from Greg, um, I was a little put off because it, the way it was worded, because he said, oh, I, I felt like he was saying, like, I'm not sure if University of Vermont is at my caliber. <laughs> so <laughs> he loves it when I tell that story. Um, so I was a little put off, but also intrigued at the same time. And, and then, you know, I responded because I love, like reaching out to prospective students and so I gave him a very long email very detailed and then when he responded back to me he was he was a lot more fun, like you know jokes and you know seemed very he seemed very easygoing and kind of a fun guy so we just had a little bit of back and forth and I remember thinking oh it'd be fun you know Vermont's a small place it was a very small program so having anybody new especially like a new <laughs> you know somebody who I could potentially date coming into the mix was really exciting. And so I thought, I'm going to like, you know, foster this. Um, so I, you know, we, we ended up emailing for a while. And then we eventually, probably after a couple of weeks or so, maybe started talking on the phone. Um, there's a four hour difference in time. So I, you know, it would be, he'd call me at like 10 p.m. Alaskan time, and it would be 2 a.m. in Vermont. And then we'd talk for several hours. And I think it was over the phone conversations for me that I really felt like kind of a, a connection and I'd, I'd Googled him, too, just to make sure he was who he said he was. And I did see a picture of him, too, which I thought he looked very cute in his photo. So I was intrigued. And um, so, yeah, even over the phone, I had already had some feelings like, oh, I think this could go somewhere. I mean, well, we have to Google. I mean, that's the only way you can make sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Greg, would you like to add anything? I mean, you know, what did you think? Yes, I'd like to clarify the record that I wasn't pompous in my initial email. Let's just see. And it wasn't that University of Vermont wasn't up to my caliber. I think that's a let's not spread rumors about that. And let's let's like make that clear there. You know. Hey, I can only say from my own experience how I read the email. Um, it was really when he started putting little emojis in. He put little smiley face emojis. And I went to one of my other roommates, who was a, a, a guy roommate that I had at the time, because I shared a house with a few other grad students. And I said, what does it mean when another guy puts emojis in his emails? And he said, oh, he totally likes you. So I thought, all right. Okay, <laughs> okay cool. Um, so, um, Greg, so what did you think of Lizzie? I mean, let's hear your side. Well, we, we got to put it in time frame here. This is 2004, so this is pre... I think it's even pre-MySpace. I think Friendster might have been around. But so this was pre-Facebook, pre, you know, such like that. So just a little context there. This is 2004 that time. Um, what did I think of Lizzie? Well, I mean, Lizzie's, you know, talked the. You know, this is this is Greg sort of re re reverting back here and, and not speaking. Okay, so you were feeling the same things, you know, you were liking her, calling her and all that kind of stuff and everything. Were you really shy about it or you were just like, hey, this is cool? I'm shy about it, yeah, yeah. You know me, princess. <laughs> I do. That's why I'm talking to you. So you have to clap. Come on, Greg. 
I think I was the aggressor in the situation. I was the one that made all the moves. <laughs> I guess I guess that's I guess I guess that's accurate. Yeah. This is what I really like about this story. So so how long had it been? Like a year, a couple months, six months, what? Um, I think from well, when we started, I think it was early April when I first got an email from Greg, and then I went to California for an internship at the in, in May. Um, while he was still in Alaska. And then it was, I think, July, kind of mid-July when we first met up in person, um, which that's where the story gets juicy. I'll let you get to those questions. But so I think we, you know, we chatted over email and phone for a couple of months. Right. So this is where, yes, this is where it gets juiced. I remember Greg was telling me that um, he had got sick in Alaska and had to be airlifted to see to Seattle, right? So yeah, yeah. So um, I was in Alaska. T- uh, so my job with America Vista ended near mid June or late or early June, and so I wanted to I wanted to travel cross country, taking as much ground transportation, not flights, all the way cross continent actually from Alaska to Vermont, taking you know a bus, a train, ferries, etc. So I I took. I took a ferry out to the Aleutian Islands first. I took, I rented a car in Dawson City, Yukon Territory, and drove up to the Arctic Circle, and then I started my way down, down south towards going towards the lower 48. Um, I went through, took a ferry through the southeast Alaska, which is also called the Panhandle of Alaska, and in Wrangell, Alaska, I was getting on a ferry. It was about a certain eight-hour ferry to go to the next town, which is Ketchikan, which is the southernmost island. And I started feeling sick on the ferry and um, got to got off the ferry and catch a can, went to a hostel, and then at that point sort of realized I, I'm not feeling good at all. Um, and so asked the, the hostel, the people in charge of the hostel, um, I need to go to someplace else to, you know, get well a little bit. They insisted and rightly insisted I go to the hospital um, and checked in there. Pretty quickly, I was in ICU, and Ketchikan's a rather small city, maybe, oh, I don't know, 2,000 people, perhaps. Um, this is also the site of where the bridge to nowhere was proposed to be built between Ketchikan Island and the airport on the other island, So, um, which was never built. There, it's, usually, it's a ferry between, a small ferry between Ketchikan, the city, and Ketchikan, where the, the airport is. Um, I don't know many exactly how many days I was there. I had a pretty pretty serious infection. Um, eventually, at some point, they told me they are going to airlift me to Seattle because they didn't have the facilities there in Ketchikan to treat me. Um, I remember them talking about, I don't remember the ferry from Ketchikan City to Ketchikan where the airport is, which was disappointing to me because I really wanted to see that, 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 island, that ferry they took to the airport. Um, but eventually they put me on a Learjet and flew me, airlifted me to Seattle, um, where I somewhat woke up, didn't know exactly what was going on. When did you find out, Lizzie, that he was sick and um, had been airlifted to Seattle? So as I mentioned, I was in California on an internship in San Diego at the time. And then our plan had been that I was going to fly up to Seattle Um, to stay with a friend from high school. Actually, it was an ex-boyfriend from high school, but we had since become friends. And um, he just, we hadn't seen each other in a while, and he just suggested, hey, you should come up and visit me after you're, you know, done with your internship. 
And so it was going to be like coincidental that Greg and I were planning on being in Seattle at the same time because he was going to be doing his, you know, ferries and whatever <laughs> else to get down from to the lower 48. And so I thought like, this is just obviously kismet. We're both going to be in Seattle at the same time. So like, let's meet up and maybe we'll travel together. So I, when I got to Seattle and I had given Greg um, the phone number of my friend, because of course, you know, this was before cell phones or at least before any of us had cell phones. Um, and so Greg called me and said that he wasn't feeling well. He was in the hospital in Alaska and he wasn't sure if he was going to make it to Seattle at all. So it was pretty disappointing to me because I was so looking forward to meeting him in person. Um, but then I, I don't remember exactly how many days later it was. It might have even just been the same day or maybe the next day. He gave me a, he called me again and said that they were airlifting him to Seattle. So I thought, oh, like on the one hand, I was like, that sounds really serious. And I was worried. But on the other hand, I was like, great, he's going to be in Seattle. Uh, but he didn't tell me where he was going and so and or when he was arriving. So I like the next day started calling all the hospitals <laughs> in Seattle area to find out where he was. And I finally tracked him down at the University of Washington Medical Center and was able to visit him there. Wait, 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 Lindsay. I'm trying to figure out how did you get some names? Because I thought it was supposed to be confidential. How did you get where they told you where he was at? Yeah, well, I think because he didn't have any other family in the area and they just, they like, they treated me kind of like a family member um, by just giving, you know, they gave me a lot, <laughs> they gave me a lot of personal medical information and, uh, <laughs> you know, let me stay in the ICU kind of after visiting hours. And so I think it was because, yeah, it was like sort of he was alone. His family was back in Ohio and they wanted somebody to be there with him. And I think they kind of maybe bent the rules a little wow, bit. Wow, Greg, that's awesome. <laughs> he's, he's been there for you at your sickest time. <laughs> I guess he's been there from the, um, she's seen you at your worst time. <laughs> so it can only get better, right? And, and my glasses, I didn't have my glasses. They were in Ketchikan someplace, so I didn't, I couldn't know what was going on. Oh my goodness. Okay, so how did, so once you seen them and Greg, you seen her, even though I know you were sick, so how was that whole thing that you all finally saw each other? How was that? Well, it was funny because, uh, you know, I'd seen a picture of Greg, but, you know, it's different when you see somebody in person. And so when I was, I went into the ICU and, you know, I asked, I'm looking for Greg Tischer and they pointed into a room and I looked over and because he didn't have the glasses on and, you know, he's obviously he's got like tubes down his throat and the gown on and everything and just, you know, looks very sick. And I looked in and I said, that can't be Greg. That doesn't look like his picture. Uh, but, you know, I went in and I realized, oh, it is. Yeah, it's Greg. Uh, and then he, he uh, like I said, he didn't have his glasses on and he was, I think when he woke up, he was really out of it. And I don't even think he knew he was in Seattle at that point and why, like why I was there. <laughs> but, um, and he had a tube down his throat. So for like the first two days we couldn't talk. So he would just write me messages on like a chalkboard or like a whiteboard or something. And, um, and then I actually, his, his, all his stuff was delivered. I had, we had all his belongings from Alaska sent to my friend's apartment. So I was able to bring him his glasses so he could see me in person. Um, but I think we actually had, Greg's going to get embarrassed when I say this. We actually had our first kiss <laughs> in the ICU once he got his tube taken out. And uh, he didn't, he, I don't think he could see me too well at the time. So I'm not sure if he knew what he was kissing, but. It, <laughs> my, my breath probably didn't smell too well either. No, that's love. 
kissing somebody after having a tube down their throat and haven't brushed their teeth in a week. <laughs> this is so funny. And it's so sweet, though, too. And so, um, I mean, so this is awesome. So it was just like, Greg, it was like kind of um, meant to be, huh? I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Lizzie, what did you think? I mean, you was like, hey, I'm here for this guy. This is it. I mean, did you feel like this was it? I mean, you found your match or, or what? I did. I mean, I think even before that, our phone conversations, because, you know, even when I was down in California um, on this internship, we chatted whenever we could, even because he was traveling at the time when I was down in California. And like, we would talk on pay phones when he'd have a chance to be on a pay phone or call me from a hostel. Um, so, yeah, I think even over the phone, I still I felt like uh, it, it seemed like he might be the one. And then, you know, I just would by the time I got to the hospital and when we started chatting in person it just felt like you know everything felt very relaxed like we'd known each other for so long it didn't feel you know it didn't feel strange at all to me and they let me you know the hospital they let me stay in his room I mean eventually he was out of ICU and he had his own room and they just let me stay there spend the night so I would just you know camp out in the reclining chair and spend the night with him and um, so yeah I mean I felt like at that point yeah that it, that it was he was going to be the one. Wow, Greg, that was awesome. She was in your corner from, <laughs> from day one. Huh? If you, like I said, if you see somebody at their worst, then it is meant to be. So, Greg, I guess you was feeling the same, right? This woman is here and, for me like that. And she met my parents at, was it the ICU or the, the regular hospital? I remember when they flew out and they eventually got a flight. Okay, so how long were you, um, were you in the hospital overall? A week or more. I don't know, between Ketchikan and Seattle... The, I lost a day. I don't know what happened to a certain Saturday and Sunday and Monday or something like that. So what happened after that? So you was discharged, you know, all your stuff was at um, Lizzie's friend's house. So what was, like, what was the next move for you guys? Pick up the ground transportation to, to Vermont. Um, we, uh, I got my backpack, repacked it as a sense of trying to reconfigure myself, packed it in a nice way. Uh, we, Seattle was a little too big for me at that point. It was a bit overwhelming. Um, I was in Glen Allen, Alaska for two years, population 900. The area, the area, the surrounding area, the size of roughly West Virginia has about 3,000 people, or at least it did 20 years ago. Um, so it was a bit much, lots of busy traffic and so forth. So we went to, we took a Greyhound down to Portland, Oregon, which I'd been to before for Vista conferences and so forth and um, seemed a lot more easier to deal with. Um, then we eventually got on, then we eventually decided it was time to, to move on across the country. So we got um, on Amtrak, took the Empire Builder Amtrak train from Portland, Oregon, all the way to Chicago. And that was two, two and a half days, two, three, which is a long trip, let's just say. Sleeping on an Amtrak train can get old. Um, but it was a fun, fun trip. Um, got to Chicago, what, eight hours late or something like that. Met her family. And Lizzie, you want to fill in more? Sure. Um, yeah, so like Greg said, he was, he was discharged from the hospital. I think it was about a week. And they put him up actually at a hotel for a couple of days in Seattle just so he could get a little extra recuperation. And then his mom actually was in Seattle with us for a couple of more days. So we saw the sights with his mom for a little bit. And then she headed back to Ohio. And um, yeah, we d it was, I think it was overwhelming for Greg to do so much 
travel after you know being sick and then being in Alaska. So we, we our you know our major plans we we scaled them back a little bit, um, but we had we we stayed at a nice little B and B. Um, saw did a whale watching tour. So we had some good times and then went down to Portland saw the sights there a little bit. I could tell Greg was feeling better when he one point went out on the street and bought like octopus or something from a street vendor, which I, I always like to tease him about. <laughs> I don't know. He says it wasn't octopus. I don't know. I seem to remember him coming back to the hotel saying he got octopus from a street vendor. And I was like, okay, here he's going to get sick again, but he was fine. Uh, so yeah, we, we, two days on the Amtrak and it was another, you know, yeah, it was long, but it was another good bonding experience for us because we were pretty much stuck with each other for 48 hours. Uh, he met my family and then um, I think we stayed for a few days in, in the Chicago area and then headed on Greyhound back to Ohio. I went back to Ohio then a couple of days later on the Greyhound um, after I sort of did some other family business. And then we took a Greyhound up to Burlington, Vermont, um, where we went, then it was our last stop. Okay. And so everything ended in um, Vermont. So, I, uh, so Greg, I assume you proposed and you all were married. And how long have you all been married? We've been married since 2008. And that was a, that was a quiz there, right? You're that one. <laughs> We've been married since 2008. All right. So that's pretty good. So you all... Um, met in 2004 and then got married in 2008. So that's great. And so this is a true story of migration, people, I'm telling you. So they went to school together, undergrad, didn't meet, met in undergrad, and flew to Alaska. Greg <laughs> went to Alaska. Lizzie met him in Seattle. He was in the ICU. I mean, this is a really good story. And I love that you shared that with me, Greg, and I love that you shared that with us today on our Story Circle podcast. Liz, did you want to add anything? Oh, I guess I just want to say, kind of keeping with the tradition of us, you know, the sort of migrating all over the country. Um, actually, when we got married, well, Greg, we, we, I mean, we started living together in Vermont. It was in, back in Ohio where Greg proposed. Then we moved to Virginia, which is where we actually got, we had our, like, just, you know, the legal wedding in, in Virginia. And then we actually had a church wedding back in Chicago. So we kind of, did the toured the country on our <laughs> engagement and and marriage as well. And, and my and my sister conducted the the wedding in in Chicago. She's an ordained United Church of Christ minister. Oh, okay, cool. I like. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. So, um, well, thank you. Um, well, I just want one more thing, Greg. How did you propose? How did I propose? Well, I put. I went to. So there's. I went to a big box store that was near our apartment and they had, you know, they had a jewelry section. Of course, they also had a children's section where they had, you know, costume jewelry. So I, I picked the, the best best thing you could get for $2.99, the plastic ring, put it in a box and then wrap that box and then put another box around it and then another box so that you can like go down, through, open a box, there's another box, open, you know, like a, a Russian nesting doll. And there in the, the tiniest box was that $2.99 plastic ring, which had a really big, like, you know, plastic uh, diamond, of course. You know, it's a huge, I mean, like, you can't buy a bigger plastic diamond for $2.99 anywhere, I don't believe. And um, with a note, like, will you marry me? So he eventually said yes, you know. 
just so Greg doesn't sound like a totally cheap person, I always, I'm not a jewelry person and I always told him I never wanted an actual engagement ring. So uh, this was in keeping with our sort of personality, my personality. Um, so I appreciated the little fun costume jewelry, which of course broke, you know, several days <laughs> later. But I still keep it in a box because it's very precious to me. <laughs> Did we get engaged December 11th? story. We hope that you all enjoy this little episode of love during the season of love and that you all have a great Valentine's Day and happy February. Thank you to Greg and Lizzie Tischer and to Princess Harris for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate you, Princess, for bringing the story circles to the podcast and to Greg and Lizzie for sharing your love story of migration. If you would like to share your story circle on the podcast or in a video, please reach out to Princess Harris at princess at faithinplace.org. Oh, and one more thing. Thank you for listening to the end of this episode. We really appreciate it. And we need your support to continue advocating for just climate policies please take a moment to visit bit.ly slash advocate climate justice to sign our petition. The link will be found in the show notes. This podcast is a creation of Faith in Place, a multi-faith environmental justice nonprofit based in Illinois. We are the proud affiliate of Interfaith Power and Light, and we are on a mission to empower Illinois people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. This week's episode was produced by Brogan Malloy. Your hosts are Katie Maxwell and Lauren Paris. Our theme song is Sweet Talk by Tyra Chatney. Please rate, review, or share this podcast with someone who might enjoy it. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support the work of Faith in Place by donating. Please go to faithinplace.org forward slash donate. Your support means we can empower more youth, engage with more green teams, and advocate for better climate policies that put people and the planet first. And please follow our social media pages on Twitter at voices underscore of underscore earth and on Instagram at voices of earth podcast. Thanks for listening.